politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen who still believe that breathing is a right. This is your one-stop shop for all news strategies and views on getting that liberty back again with time ticking. It is, uh, it's Tuesday already. I mean, we're getting through January, and I'll tell you this, folks. No matter what happens, this year will end in November with a pretty big Republican Party victory. But will that translate into a victory for us small people? Does that even mean anything? You know, they're all bragging about all, you know, more people identify as Republicans. It swung like 14 points in a in a year. Yeah, of course, because people want the status quo ended. But where is the evidence that that is happening? We're supposed to be 100 days to wear a mask. Remember that. Here we are. What are we on? Day uh, 500 or something? And there's no end in sight. There is no end in sight. I, I was planning on getting to some other issues today, but honestly, I really can't move on from this. I'm getting all these stories, heartbreaking stories from people, losing their jobs for nothing. Then you have people you know, getting the virus, and they don't get proper treatment. The crazy stuff going on in hospitals. If we have time today... um. We'll have Thomas Renz join us today. He's a lawyer working on one of these important hospital cases. Uh, And then you have all the legislatures in session. Where are they? So today we're just going to bounce around a little bit. I'm going to throw as much information as I can at you. Uh, There's a lot of new stuff going on. We're just going to take it off one by one. So a little bit disjointed today just because there are so many smaller items uh you know rather than kind of one big issue to put together today our first sponsor um very proud to have something that i feel very strongly strongly about a new sponsor z stack from dr vladimir zelenko as you remember he is one of the first people in february 2020 to actually treat this virus um and he has a great product out that you know, a lot of a lot of you guys are asking me, okay, you know, what's the best brand? What should I get, you know, for the vitamins? We're asking people to take a lot of things to keep their immune system up with all of the bioweapons going around now. So he has a Z stack where he puts in zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, and vitamin D all in one. Um, and you know, this was again, he's the one to come up with the hydroxychloroquine uh, um, protocol. So if you go to Z, that's the letter Z, Stack Life, ZStackLife.com slash Daniel, enter promo code Daniel, you get 5% off your first order. Um, it's really good if you want to just keep up your supplements four in one, so you don't have to take a bunch of pills. It's uh, very economical this way as well. Um, again, you know, it's got the 500 uh, milligrams of quercetin, 800 of C, 5,000 IUs of D, and then zinc is is thirty, which is about what you want. You know, if you have the virus, then you know I what the FLCC probably says to step it up to hundred. Um, but in general, you don't want to take too much zinc uh, preemptively because it depletes your copper. So it's a really good balance. Again, go to zstacklife.com/daniel promo code Daniel for five percent off. And yeah, I mean, this is what we're gonna have to do to take control of our own lives. I don't know where this is headed. None of us do. There's no, nothing natural 
about the origins of this virus. There's nothing natural about the way we dealt with it. There's nothing natural about having a leaky vaccine create um, more uh, durable variants. So we don't know. I mean, God willing, Omicron is starting to drop. God willing, in a few weeks, this will be over with. But we don't know. This is not natural. We don't know what they have in store. So, you know, we're constantly going to be doing this because it's of vital importance. The biggest right to light to, to liberty is the right to life. And that's what's scary here. You know, I could uh, talk to you about protecting yourself against criminals. You could use the right to, uh, to bear arms. But what do you do if they unleash a virus on you, if the entire medical establishment is destroyed, the stuff they're doing to patients is sickening, denying people uh, kidney transplants, holding people hostage in hospitals, confiscating their, their vitamins. You walk in with a Z-stack, they'll take it away from you. This is something I can't walk away from. So we're going to continue to have some doctors on that actually study medicine and science to give you uh, the best up-to-date uh, advice on what to do um, because we, we have nowhere to turn. I do have a bill I want to highlight in Virginia. Uh, Karen Greeley, uh, she is a new freshman from uh, the Hampton Roads area, and she's jumping right into it. She has a bill, HB 102, that's going to ensure that pharmacists in Virginia fill prescriptions and doctors don't get punished um, for it. I might have a hospital provision in it as well, so HB 102. Um, it, look, if you want to be a leader of our Virginia Con Action team, let me know. We certainly have a lot of people signed up. And look, with the Republican governor now and Republican House, you know it's time to get a guy like Yunkin on board the early treatment. Um, this is this is key. This is also a place where we're going to need a bill. We're going to need Yunkin on board a bill to get UVA to stop denying people without uh, the shots kidney transplants. Just just truly truly shocking. But where do we go to survive? Name me a name me a county. Name me a county where you feel you could live without COVID fascism. And you could get basic care from a doctor or a hospital. Name me where that is. Okay, the, this is not a high bar here. I'm not asking for anything big. And the answer is we gotta we gotta create it. We got we gotta create this on our own. So I'm gonna kind of tick down some of the latest news that we have. Um, you know, Israel and Australia now have the highest case rates in the world. Around 400 per 100,000. That's almost twice as much as the U.S.'s rate, which is pretty doggone high. Israel and Australia. Israel is the champion of the booster shots. Pfizer's private playground. Australia is the champion of zero COVID. And again, what that demonstrates is that if they're either trying to keep out the virus or... They're trying to ruin people's immune systems. Well, guess what? <laughs> They're going to have the biggest problems headed forward. So there's that. Then there's also the mask issue. If you don't think 
they can't demand that you wear N95s. If you don't think they won't get away with it, they will. I could definitely picture it on planes and in other places. Uh, they're 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 going to demand that. So, by the way, it's interesting. Austria is one of the countries that's now demanding you wear a medical grade mask. And if you look, they now have more cases than in their Delta wave. If you remember, we were talking about this just six weeks ago. They just got done with their massive wave. And then now they have another one. So again, all the things they were doing there, the Fourth Reich, they declared basically they're criminalizing anyone without the shots. None of this works. None of it works one iota. But they were requiring medical-grade masks. This is an interesting study. Andy, Dr. Andy Bostom sent this to me. It was published, published September 3rd, 2019. So right before we knew about the pandemic, Chinese certainly did it by then, published in JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, and here's the title if you want to look it up in JAMA, N95 respirators versus medical masks for preventing influenza among healthcare personnel, a randomized con- clinical trial. So we've already established that you know, there were 10 randomized controlled trials that the CDC cited from day one um, that it never stopped influenza. The virons of SARS-CoV-2 are roughly the same size as the virons of influenza, so, you know, there's no reason to believe it would stop one and not the other. As we well know, the reason we didn't have the flu last year was viral interference because the flu disappeared where they were wearing masks, where they weren't, where they were in school, where they weren't, where they had lockdowns, where they didn't, you know, high vaccination rate, low vaccination rate, it didn't matter. It was clearly a viral interference, at least with the original Wuhan strain of the virus. But perhaps N95s, they work, right? Nope. There were 207 laboratory-confirmed influenza infection events in the N95 respirator group and just 193 in the medical mask group. It's a small difference, but if anything, there was actually a little bit more in the N95 group. Um, I don't know if it's statistically significant. It might not be, but the point is it certainly didn't help. So you're going to hear this garbage now. Oh, yeah. See, this is what they do. They get to be wrong about every stage of this, and then they use the fact that they're wrong because it doesn't go away to their advantage. Yeah, you know, you better do this now. And, of course, they never have to show their, their work, no evidence, because they can do anything they want to your body. And speaking of doing anything they want, Hawaii is now basically putting a travel ban on all 49 other states as if it's a foreign country. You know what? If Hawaii wants to be a foreign country, then it's time they get out of here. I'm sick of it. Hawaii has been doing this racist garbage for a long time. They're very territorial. And and look, you're either part of America or you're not. You can't use the fact that you're an island to your advantage. Okay, That, that, That doesn't legally... Just because logistically it's easier to keep people out doesn't mean legally you can do that. The reality is, even during the Articles of Confederation, when states were allowed to regulate interstate commerce, Article 4 of the founding document states, the people of each state shall have free ingress and regress to and from any other state. Even during the Articles of Confederation. Okay? Um, It's a no-brainer in the Constitution which was designed to prevent states from banning interstate commerce, certainly bars states from regulating travel of American citizens. Supreme Court said in U.S. v. Guest, this was a 1966 case, 
All right, so elementary. It's talking about interstate travel. Was conceived from the beginning to be necessary um, of the stronger union uh, the Constitution created. Indeed, as Justice Stewart reminded U.S. Uh, reminded us in Shapiro v. Thompson, 1969, the right is so important that it is assertable against private interference as well as governmental action of virtually unconditional personal right guaranteed by the Constitution to us all. Okay, that that was from the Supreme Court in Sands v. Roe pretty recently, 1999. But yet, when it comes to COVID, you could do whatever the hell you want. So you know what? I am fine with making states sovereign again. Although they were never quite that sovereign. But if that's where we want to head, look, that's exactly, I want my own Noah's Ark. I want my own uh, refuge and sanctuary from this garbage. So if Hawaii could keep out people they don't want, then let's go create our state and keep out people we don't want. Think about this. A state can't keep out illegal aliens that don't belong in the entire country, but a state could keep out people from another state if they don't show their papers. It's unbelievable. So pick one. If, if this is where we're headed, I'm fine with it. But then we need to apply it evenly where we are. Now, folks, part of this self-separation is going to engender a need for us to self-separate from these guys economically as well. Now, it's hard to find patriots that run big companies that provide services that we all need. But one of them is Patriot Mobile. If you're looking for a place to land for your mobile service, guess what? They actually are donating to all sorts of causes and organizations on our side, March to Life, um, the exact opposite of most corporations these days. Uh, again, they have the broadest nationwide coverage. They use the same towers as the major carriers, so you get the same service um, plus, it fits your budget. They have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, has the highest rating among wireless carriers. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, you can get free activation with offer code CR. By the way, they have special discounts for veterans and first responders. Support a company that loves America, loves liberty, loves family values. Again, patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR. So, again, I want to get uh, our lawyer on, Thomas Renz. Um, I know a lot of you are asking questions about you know, legal representation. So um, we're going to get him on uh, when I could make that connection. Um, wanted to start out with something here I didn't plan on talking about, but I just saw this come across the wires. Kaiser, this is from The Hill, Kaiser. Okay, so Kaiser Permanente, you know we have Pfizer Permanente now. They say thousands in the San Francisco area may have received a low dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. They say around 3,900 people who visited Kaiser Permanente Walnut Creek Medical Center on both October 25th and December 10th may have received 0.01 mLs to 0.04 mLs less than the recommended dose of 30. So in other words... Um, I guess this is the Pfizer shot, which is 30 micrograms. They were receiving either 29 or, or 26. And they're like, it doesn't make a difference. But if you want to come in to get a booster, they're like, I guess they're going to give them four mLs or something. So, folks, for those of you who think it's a conspiracy theory that 
there's different vials with different things that might explain why some people walk away from the shot without problems and some people get mowed down. Um, folks, <laughs> it's straight up there. And clearly they have serial numbers and know exactly who gets what. Because they're inviting people to come back and they could tell you what you got and they're they're going to, you know, plus up their dosage. So that that that's a very illuminating uh, news story there because clearly there is no quality control. I mean, remember, Japan had to uh, rescind over a million doses from one package because of problems with it. So don't give me this garbage that somehow we are applying the same standards of quality control we always have. And again, that might answer why there seems to be a blip in certain areas, certain times. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get. And I don't think anyone could look you in the eye and tell you otherwise. Next story. And again, I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm just kind of jumping around here because there's so much to, to give over before uh, we get to our guest. Bill Rice, he wrote an article at Uncover DC. Highest rates of infection occurring in counties with highest vaccination rates this is in florida and it jives with what desantis's uh data guy kyle lamb put out I, I don't know if it was a similar analysis but they looked at the covid infection rates for residents of miami-dade county december 31st to january 6th it was 3,796 new cases per hundred thousand population a rate far higher than any other county in Florida, even though they have an eye-popping 94% of residents over five that have at least one shot. Again, somehow there's this myth that Florida has a low vaccination rate. No, I mean, Miami-Dade has the has a very high rate, the highest in the state, and incident, incidentally, they have the highest infection rate. Okay? We've said this over and over again. A macro analysis um, from day one, anyone who has engaged in this even before Omicron, even during Delta, it was clear there was somewhat of a reverse correlation. And Omicron is blowing it out. The infection rate in Dade County was more than twice as high as the state average of 1,800 per 100,000. Okay, this is a big deal. Again, we're not saying Dade County leads in just in raw numbers, you know, because they're the most populous county. It's um, it's in, you know, per per hundred thousand, so it's adjusted per population. So this is a big, big problem here. Something doesn't add up, or does it? And again, you look at at the high rates for January sixth to January thirteenth. Um, the infection rate in Dade. Is 3217. Broward, 2453. Right? Broward also is a very high rate. And they're all there. The negative correlation between vaccination rates and cases per 100,000 was even more striking the prior week. And he goes through, again, the highest and the lowest counties under 50%. Then he looked at, okay, what about counties under 50% vaccination rate in Florida? So there's 14 of these counties. I think uh, Florida has like 63 counties or something. So 14 have uh, fewer than 50% of the county's population, again, measured as age 5 and above, as vaccinated. 
and you look at them and they are all but one I'm eyeballing here all but one are below the state's average okay and some are well below so something doesn't add up there something doesn't add up you tell me what it is 16 counties listed which had the lowest infection rates during December 31st to January 6th averaged 607 cases per 100,000, which is 66% lower than the state average of 1807 during that period. The average vaccination rate in those counties was 48.6%, 23.4 points lower than the state average. Something doesn't add up, and we need to get to the bottom of that. So that is with that. Um, and, and you know what? Let, let me let, let me um, just piggyback on this point a little bit. I, I've been meaning to get Dr. Paul Alexander on. He's an epidemiologist. Um, he was briefly in the Trump administration. And he has out on his Substack. You can find it, um, Paul Alexander on sub, uh, Dr. Paul Alexander on Substack. And he makes eight, eight succinct points about epidemiologically where we are. I wanted to have him on. I couldn't get a hold of him. But instead, I'm just going to read from, from his report. And I think this really answers a lot of what we're seeing. So he starts with lockdowns. The first point was lockdowns. And he says, lockdowns sometimes could stop infection very temporarily, right? But you remain susceptible and ripe for infection when you reopen. It's only a delay. We always knew that. It doesn't stop anything for because no society can keep that going, right? Hard lockdowns, school closures, severely damaged our societies, killed people, killed children. With Fauci and Burke lockdowns, we told them, we pleaded with them to open society, and it didn't work. Um, then there's mass vaccination. With ineffective, damaging lockdowns, we then mass vaccinated. We have been warning about mass vaccination in the midst of an ongoing pandemic when there is a virus all around. I have to emerge at some point. Yet now, as we see, with an ineffective uh, vaccine immunity and virus waiting for me, you're preventing the immune system from mounting a proper response by vaccinating while there is pathogen circulating. So again, you see how it, it complements the odious nature of the lockdown. You kept people away from it, and then now you don't allow their system to work right. Then there's step three, original antigenic sin, which, by the way, even the European Medicines Agency is now admitting that it's a problem if you keep doing this to people. So, he, he again, he's speaking as a person that was locked down. What, what happens to your immune system? I'm going to emerge at some point, and I will be exposed as virus is circulating, and it will land in my nasal oral passages. This will, this while vaccinated with suboptimal vaccine, but you locked the society down, and they didn't get exposed, and the first exposure to the antigen was via vaccine. This is the key. That first exposure to the antigen, the initial priming or exposure, meaning because his point is there's one thing if you had some sort of low-dose exposure, but if you really were one of these seniors that weren't around people for two years and then you, you had no exposure to it and the first exposure you get 
is from um, the initial priming of your system, it biases the immune response long-term, likely for lifetime, to that or similar pathogens. If the initial prime is the vaccine, the immune response will be geared to that prime. If your first look was to, to the vaccine, then your immune system would, be a, via the B cells, produce antibodies that would enter the blood circulation. Again, not the respiratory tract, the blood circulation. Your subsequent exposure would likely be to pathogen in the respiratory tract when you go outside into the wild, but the correct cytotoxic T-cell response Right, like the NK cells to clear out the infection in the nasal passages would likely be subverted as the immune system has some way of learning and remembering what it did initially. And thus, if the initial prime prime was vaccine and systemic antibodies, right, IgG and not IgA, by the way, then the immune system may well switch to that systemic response always. And thus, for your subsequent respiratory exposure and not engage the proper T cell response. At the local nasal site of, of the infection, the initial priming has now biased all subsequent responding. The antibodies are sent again and again to the blood where it's not needed. The result is that the respiratory tract and lungs get sicker and sicker, cytotoxin inflammatory response, and you have high viral loads of the virus in the respiratory tract and get sicker and potentially transmitting to both vaccinated and unvaccinated persons. It is entirely possible that the OAS... Um, this is original antigenic sin, is what is driving the massive infections in persons who are vaccinated as the initial exposure was to vaccine and how the virus is all around you and you'll be exposed when you emerge post-vaccine, then you are infected. So look at how it works with each other. You lock people down so they have zero low-dose exposure to any of the pathogen. Then you emerge them with a suboptimal you know, vaccine that pumps up their blood and then tamps down, this is what Dan Stock spoke about on my show for an hour, uh, tamps down your cytotoxic T-cell response to your respiratory tract. So this could very well explain why from day one, this is before Omicron, certainly with Omicron, but let's not forget it didn't start with Omicron. Uh, the UK data has been showing really since June, July, August, um, the negative efficacy. The negative efficacy, and we, we saw that original Harvard dem demographer that looked at 3,000 U.S. counties over 60 countries, and now we have another study um, of 145 countries that there's a reverse correlation. Okay? So while some of them temporarily will have some in their systemic system against like organ failure and death, but they're going to have higher viral loads because the T cells won't be dispatched to tamp down at least some of the viral replication. So those are the worst people to be around. If you have the shot and you, and you get the virus, you're going to have an insane viral rep replication. It I mean, it was mentally ill. It was mentally ill. It doesn't address the respiratory tract. This is the one thing they can't look at you and tell you. A lot of them will be, well, it, it's at least it does some good. It does some good. That That's not the way vaccines work. If it's not a perfect vaccine, it goes negative. You, got, you have to factor that in your analysis. Then he goes to point number four. Delta Omicron infectious pressure. We never ever vaccinate into pandemic while virus is circulating. There's massive infectious pressure as the virus is circulating and trying to infect the population. The virus is coming up against the immune pressure, and the population immune pressure is putting the spike protein, specifically the receptor binding domain, under massive pressure and drives mutations. Which is why, who knows if we're done with it. 
Number five, suboptimal non-sterilizing population immune pressure. These vaccines are non-sterilizing. We can never, ever tame the stop of the pandemic with vaccines that do not sterilize the virus, do not stop infection and transmission. The chain of transmission will never be broken with these vaccines. That the vaccine developers would make these vaccines is mind-numbing, and it could be a deliberate effort to sabotage um, you know, the, the, the fight against it. We're vaccinating during the pandemic, and there's infectious pressure while the population is being mass vaccinated with hundreds of thousands, if not millions at a time, and the population is trying to mount or raise an immune response with a non-sterilizing vaccine that also is a mismatch with the now predominant Delta and Omicron variants. So it's an even narrower look at the vaccine. The vaccine is based on the initial Wuhan strain. We keep forgetting that. So you're mounting an even you know, more suboptimal response. So therefore, the antibodies are not fully developed and are immature and cannot stop the virus. So we're loading the weapon as the enemy on the battlefield already is there. So now you have a population with limited, little if any population level immunity due to lockdown and no way near herd immunity and are thus susceptible, vulnerable to infection. It is the variants that are in the environment that emerge that the more fittest, more infectious variants will overcome the suboptimal mounting immune pressure from the population and infect the population members. It is this variant that is so infectious as had, why? Because it had a competitive fitness advantage against less fit variants, less infectious ones that will not now propagate and become the dominant variant, aka Omicron. Right? In other words, it's not that it creates mutations. People have the wrong idea. Um, you have thousands of mutations of SARS-CoV-2, and we did from day one. But what happens is they, they kind of compete on an equal playing field. So you don't have one that becomes either really virulent, like with Delta, or, or really infectious, like with Omicron, that just takes over and, and epidemiologically you know, destroys the joint. This selects for that. Again, a lot of people are creating straw men. It's like, hey, we had the variants before, Daniel. It doesn't create mutations. No one's saying that. Mutations are mutations. It selects for the fittest ones. This is basic microbiology. Basic microbiology. It's unbelievable. Then he closes by saying, it is this intersection of low population level immunity, herd immunity, natural innate acquired adaptive immunity due to lockdowns and school closures with infectious pressure from the virus onto the population, suboptimal immune pressure up from the population onto the virus, and the mass population vaccination using a non-sterilizing vaccine that does not stop transmission all at once that is a recipe for disaster. We are getting infected after vaccination as described above it. And also driving via natural selection the emergence of mutants. So that's kind of his summary of what we're seeing going on. It's out of control. You could not have done this by accident. You could not have possibly created a worse scenario. This is what, again, they won't talk about this. That in all these places that either had hard lockdowns from day one and or hard mass vaccinations, they're worse off than anywhere else. It makes no sense. If what they're saying is true, it should be unmistakable. Again, I live in Maryland. All these states are like that. 
almost every adult is vaccinated. You, there's no one left to blame except for yourself. Now, there's one more um, story I wanted to get to before our guest. Joel Smalley, he's a researcher in the UK. He has an article out, ICU admissions by COVID-19 vaccination status. So um, we've already seen that in the UK, the overwhelming majority of the hospitalizations for months on end have been vaccinated, right? Now, again, age stratified, um, at least before Omicron, you know, it was still below the age stratified vaccination rates. But that's a very, as we've been saying, it's a very different story than saying, oh, 90% of the people in the hospital are on vaccine. No, no, that was always a lie. Um, but what about the ICU? What about the ICU? So he actually has numbers from Gloucestershire Hospital and NHS Foundation Trust Hospital admissions. And he has the data there. Um, and I'm just finding it here where the vaccine admissions to the ICU have a much higher correlation confirming the observation that the vaccinated are driving ICU admissions higher. Okay? So basically, um, since COVID was rife in autumn and winter 2020-21, right? That was the big wave for everyone. ICU admissions to Gloucestershire Hospital have trended lower into the spring, as one would expect, as the dominant seasonal respiratory virus naturally recedes. Inevitably, as more and more people are vaccinated since the week ending uh, January 5th, 2021, about a year ago when the mass vaccination campaign started, the number of unvaccinated admissions has declined. Okay, which that that's just math. However, the number of admissions overall has risen, suggesting that either either the vaccinated were being admitted at a higher rate than expected by displacement or the unvaccinated were being admitted at a lower rate than expected. So to test competing hypotheses, we can examine which cohort has a stronger relationship with the variation of total admissions. We can also test a narrative headline that most of the admissions to ICU are unvaccinated. So he has a scatter diagram running correlation, even by causal um, observation of Figure one, I mean, again, you have to see it here, is apparent that the major spikes in admissions coincide with vaccinated admissions rather than unvaccinated. So the, you, you want to look at the macro spikes in just overall um, uh, admissions to ICU and then and then spikes in vaccinated admissions, and it's the vaccinated driving it, okay? The unvaccinated admissions, um, where's the R squared here? have an R-squared of 0.27, like 27%, whereas the vaccinated have a correlation of 45%. COVID made a return in June 2021, which was unexpected for a seasonal respiratory pathogen, which did not reemerge in its epidemic year until early September. Nevertheless, if the vaccine was instrumental in reducing severe illness and was the dominant risk for admission to ICU, we should see a reduction in ICU admission and skew towards unvaccinated rather than the vaccinated. Um, but that is, that is not the case. In total, 67% of the people in that hospital ICU 
ICU were vaccinated. Okay? So again, it's interesting how we can get the data out of he he's he this guy is foying different documents that he's trying to get from the government. Um, you know, again, he has some preprints online where he's done this. We're gonna we're gonna keep getting on this. Okay, we're gonna get to get to the truth because let me just tell you, if we are right, it's not like you're gonna hear about it. It's not like they're gonna tell you about it. But uh, before we run out of time, I do want to get to our guest today. Now, Thomas Renz, to many of you, doesn't really need an introduction, just like we have doctors that have stepped out of the box and they were willing to risk their careers and actually treat people. We have lawyers doing the same thing. Not too many of them. But a lot of you are asking, with all of this discrimination this senseless violation of our bodily autonomy, all the malpractice, all of the, you know, whether it's the pharmacies and then the hospitals and doctors, where are the lawyers? Where are the lawyers? So Thomas Renz is an Ohio attorney. Um, he's actually on his way to testify before the legislature. Um, he, he is really a one-man uh, show uh, not just a matter of representing plaintiffs, but he's also doing a tremendous amount of research um, from the policy end on COVID as well. And I figured he'd give us a little bit of an update on what he's working on today. I mentioned yesterday this case of Scott Quiner. Uh, his wife, Anne, reached out to me a few weeks ago. He was at Mercy Hospital in Buffalo, uh, Minnesota. And really an all-too-familiar circumstance where he barely got treatment, was malnourished, horribly treated, um, was stuck on a ventilator forever, and we helped get uh, the patient evacuated to a place that where hopefully he'll get better care and hopefully he'll recover. But this case had a really nasty rub to it in that they were trying to pull the plug on the guy take him off life support without the wife's consent. Um, so with us today is Thomas Renz to discuss this case and more. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today on your busy schedule. Oh, man, it's always an honor, Daniel. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so grateful for your willingness to, to bring this to the public and for, you know, to really just take a stand on it. It's amazing. So now could you uh, work backwards here, kind of where – where we are with the legal case, um, with the Quiners, uh, Mercy Hospital, Buffalo, Minnesota, um, is it that they're saying they need the ventilator for someone else? Um, was this unique? Are you hearing similar cases? Can you talk to us about the legal avenues and what sort of court order you secured? Yeah, so what happened was is the hospital, so Scott, the husband, in the hospital. They claim it's for COVID. We don't know because, you know, they won't run tests for anything. We know the PCR tests, many of them are on class one recall for all the false positives. So, but they get more money when they treat them for COVID. So they call it a COVID case. And then they slam you on a ventilator and uh, give you a remdesivir and try and kill you. Well, she wouldn't let them give them remdesivir, <clears throat> but they did put them on a ventilator. Well, Here's the, pro here's the thing that's really unique about this one. So Scott's on a ventilator. You know, he's in his mid-50s. He's healthy. He's in good shape. All of the issue he's got is COVID. 
And he's been unconscious for a long time because they keep him drugged and on a ventilator. So that, uh, I mean, that's part of being on a ventilator is they keep you drugged. So he's been unconscious, but it's medically induced primarily. So he's on this, uh, this ventilator that's, you know, because he's on that, that's what's keeping him alive. Uh, he's stable. He's not dying. He's just there. And, uh, and naturally, they're not treating him other than to give him drugs that make things worse. So what's going on then is the hospital says to his wife, we're going to pull the plug on your husband. Well, his wife, Annie, says, no, I don't want you to do that. And the hospital actually said, we don't care. We're doing it anyways. You've got till noon tomorrow to say goodbye. And, I mean, that's, that's incredible, right? I mean, she's his, his uh, closest surviving relative and uh, his wife. And so there's power of attorney there. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, there's no, he didn't have any advanced directives that said, you know, pull the plug on me. There's no, nothing like that. Hospital just decided that they didn't want him to live anymore. Um, so now they didn't give us an official reason. My guess is, is that they want to, you know, move that ventilator onto the next person so that they can get the next check for it. Cause that's what they typically do. Um, but they didn't really give a reason. They just said, we're pulling the plug. Well, so Stu Peters, God bless him hears about this and calls me up and says, Hey, Tom, you know, guess what's happened? And so they, Annie actually had an audio recording of all of this, which makes a huge difference. So, uh, you know, he tells me all this. I said, okay, so here's what we got to do. So we came up with this plan and, uh, we started implementing. And the first thing we did was we had a local attorney who's just a wonderful later lady, Marjorie. We had her, because I'm not licensed in Minnesota, so we had to, we always have to work. If I'm working across state lines, I have to work with local attorneys. And so Marjorie filed this temporary restraining order, which we received. And so it was a stay of execution. Here's what really, really, I, I mean, this to me is the most incredible part of this whole story. The hospital, now mind you, you know, Daniel, and your audience knows how hard it is to find lawyers that will do this that'll stand up for life. The hospital that day goes out and hires the most prestigious law firm in the area, the most powerful law firm in the area. And first of all, they have no problem getting the firm to represent them, none. And this, this firm files a document with the court, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially this document says, we are going to request an order to turn off the ventilator to discontinue life support. The hospital actually hired and this firm accepted the hospital as a client to argue that they have the right to let this guy die over objections from his wife. I mean, if you take steps that you know are going to result in someone's death, that's murder. And that's what they did. They actually submitted in court that we want a court order saying we can, we can murder this guy. What has happened to our country? Um, now, where we are now is Stu absolutely blew this up on his show. We did some media on this because, you know, there needed to be media on this. And uh, the hospital allowed us to get him out of there, which we did. So we found a hospital in Texas, God bless them, that had the courage to actually treat him and to accept him as a patient. 
So they have done that, and he's now at that hospital, and he was airlifted all the way from Minnesota to Texas, and he's now actually getting treatment. Now, you know, he's been he's – he's not in good shape because, you know, this hospital did everything bad that they could, in my opinion. And so, you know, it's kind of in God's hands whether he survives. Sure. Um, but, you know, he's actually getting treatment, and he's actually getting fed. I mean, they weren't feeding him. Uh, Could you describe that a little bit? Because I read that in an article um, about the fact that the new doctor in Texas said they've never seen someone so malnourished. Is this the standard that's going on? Yes. So this is something that nobody's talking about. When you're in COVID ICU and they put you on a vent. Well, first of all, we actually have numerous reports of people who are fully conscious being given injections to knock them out and then them putting them on a vent without permission. No, no permission, no okay. They're just, they, give them, they give them something to knock them unconscious and then call the family and say, hey, we had to put them on a vent. Um, so they do that. Mind you that we're seeing in Texas, the whistleblower numbers, I show that 90% of the people on a vent die. So they're doing that anyways. Um, so they're, they put you on these vents and, uh, this is uh, then, you know, you see an IV in there and everybody thinks, well, that IV, he must be getting fed. No, they are putting nutrients in these IVs. So these people, what you're seeing is people losing massive amounts of weight. So they're in a hospital, they're being kept unconscious with drugs so that they can keep them on a vent, which most of the time they shouldn't be on. And then they don't feed them. So you get weaker and weaker. All these things end up working together to make it almost impossible to recover, which is why so many people die when they're in the hospitals. The doctors and nurses that are doing this know this, okay? Not, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them do. And there's no way two years into this that you don't know that that protocol is killing people. And so in this case, we just have them outright admitting that they're going to kill him. Uh, which is incredible. We don't normally have that good of evidence. But the real question is why? Why are these hospitals doing this? Why are they killing people? And why are we allowing it? Wow, this is an incredible story. Um, and, and, and yeah, I just want people to know, I mean, we're going to pray for, for Scott and, and the family. And obviously, you know, the, the main issue is that all this stuff that the Texas hospital is now doing, which is a good hospital, uh, you know, that yes. should have been done from day one upon admission, you know, being on a ventilator for two months, uh, being malnourished, not getting any of the treatments that deal that at least attempt to address the pulmonary fibrosis uh, that sets into the lungs. Um, there's a number of drugs that should be used, obviously, a high dose methylpred, ivermectin, uh, phenofibrate, uh, metformin, which is a diabetes drug, which works very good against fibrosis. Um, you know, all this stuff that should have been done before, you know, so the question is, is it too late? We pray it's not. Um, but this is what's happening on the front end that needs to be addressed. Uh, Thomas, what other, can you give us a smattering of other complaints you're getting to your attorneys and your law practice, uh, based on maltreatment in the hospitals? Oh my God. I mean, honestly, Daniel, it's, it's stuff that people wouldn't believe. Um, I had, I have a report right now and we're going to be talking with this lady, uh, her, her father, who was a veteran with PTSD, um, 
he actually, he, they went so far, they physically abused him. He actually, he had an accident and they actually rubbed his face in it because they were mad about it. Um, now that's pretty extreme, but we have numerous instances, including recordings or text messages or other such things where people have said, "We, I want to leave, I want to leave, and the hospital literally won't let them leave. Even AMA, which means against medical advice, when you go to a hospital, you're not in jail. If you want to leave, you can. You know, you just, if it's against medical advice, you may or may not have to pay for it, but, you know, it it's not prison. So we have people who are saying, I want to leave. I don't care what you say. I want to go home. And the hospital saying no and just not letting them leave. We have people. Who wait, 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 wait. What do you mean they're not letting them leave? What does that I mean? I mean, they're restraining them. They're physically, they're physically them restraining them. Yes. We have instances of people being physically restrained. We have instances of people reporting that they've been given injections that have knocked them unconscious. Uh, we had a case out of Florida where, where we had a call from a person who claimed that uh, her husband was, uh, they, she got a call and they said that her husband, you know, uh, uh, had an accident, not, fell down and was unconscious. And, you know, and then three weeks later, he woke, he woke up and came off the vent and, uh, you know, he called her immediately and she says, and he says to her, he says, no, I wasn't unconscious. I didn't fall. They came in when I was trying to leave and gave me an injection. That's the last thing I remember. Um, I mean, what's happening in the, the, the reports I'm getting are terrifying. They're, they would be incredible. In the, and I mean, not credible. Uh, you know, most of the time I would just be like, this can't be happening. But when I get hundreds of them that are all the same, you know, it's hard to say that, well, what, none of these are credible? I mean, these people don't know each other. They're from different places around the country. Are you telling me that we have this many reports of just egregious abuse and, and none of them are true? And I don't care if this happens once. You know, I mean, we're not even, we, and you remember, Daniel, we're not even talking about the fact that there, there are treatment options available that are being denied. We're just talking about egregious cases of abuse. I mean, this is the stuff that you can't even, we would never even imagine that we're talking about in America. But I get, you know, I guarantee you, if I open my email right now, within the first 20 messages, at least five to 10 of them will be someone being murdered in a hospital. And can you please help me? And the problem is, is I'm only one guy, so I can only do so much. Now, I've got a couple other attorneys that are great people that I trust that are also working on this. You know, it's it's a matter of capacity. And then the other issue is, how do you pay for it? I mean, your loved ones in the in the hospital may be dying. What, what, how do you pay for this? And so we do a ton of work for free um, because what am I going to do? Tell you, send me a check and maybe I'll save his life. I mean, I can't do that. Jeez. So you know, you know, the the attorneys on this are are starving. Uh, there's no, you know, ever. It's just. From beginning to end, it's just downright evil. I don't know how else to say it. Is there any one particular case that you think would make a good lawsuit? Is it this one? I mean, that will, that will get a good state or federal ruling that brings to life uh, in a discovery process what is going on systemically in these hospitals in a way that it could be rectified? 
Well, you know, I think so. Stu is Stu Peters, who who really helped to bring this to light. Um, his his and I have been talking about possibly doing a roundtable to bring some of this to light very publicly with a number of people. So we may be doing that. Um, and by the way, credit to the audience uh, of these shows and the, and the people because these people lit up the phone lines. These are the these people really contributed a lot to us being able to get this guy out of there. They, they you know, you everybody says, "What can I do? What can I do?" Well, the people who made all these calls and did all this stuff might have saved Scott's life. So, um, you know, as far as court cases, what I would say is right now um, we are planning to bring a lawsuit or several actually. Now, this has been in work for quite some time. We know that the hospitals are doing this. The problem is, is that our elected officials and their infinite wisdom have imbued immunity on these hospitals. It's very, very difficult to sue a hospital if it's related to COVID treatment. That's why they don't mind abusing their patients so badly. Um, But I think we're at a point on a couple of these where we can show that there's willfulness. And willfulness is what you have to show to be able to get around the immunity. And uh, so there are going to be some lawsuits coming up. We're working on them now. We're trying to develop them now. But we just, they're difficult. They're, they're difficult. You know, you got to find attorneys that can give their time away, um, which, you know, I mean, I give away as much as I can. You got to find uh, people that, you know, the right plaintiffs. You got to get the right, you have to have a very high bar at the courts because the courts, you know, you have to show that these hospitals intended to do something evil, um, which, you know, it's pretty clear when they're doing it all the time that they probably do, but you still have to to get through that. And in the courts, it's a little bit trickier than it sounds. Sure. Um, just, just to end this off, is there any dream lawsuit that you would like? Meaning, obviously, we don't want to conjure up a dream of someone's misfortune, but if there is someone out there and I know you have more than you could could even deal with. You don't need or want more cases. But qualitatively, is there a particular plaintiff at this juncture that would be very helpful? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I've been kicking around a lot is uh, you know, a, a vaccine-injured child that, that you know, survived it but is living with, is living with the, the fallout. And I don't wish that on anyone. I pray that it doesn't happen. I pray that there is no plaintiff like that, but I know better. Um, you know, I, someone who, especially with Pfizer, because, you know, Pfizer, to me, they knew what's going on. Um, I don't know, you know, that's a very, very difficult case, but someone's got to bring this to light. Someone's got to get this information out there. Someone's got to get to the truth on this. And it's, a, it's tough. It's a very difficult case, but I want to save people. And that's, you know, unfortunately, Telling the story in the courts is going to be one of the most important aspects to being able to save people. You know, we've got to we've got to get to the truth. The courts need to look at the real facts that have occurred here. They need to give us full discovery so that we can show what's happened. And we need to show. I mean, this is this vaccine and it's not a vaccine. It's a gene therapy. We have Pfizer and Moderna documents that refer to it as such. Um, You know, this gene therapy jab that's out there is deadly. Everybody knows it. I've got more whistleblower data on this than I could possibly even come close to sharing from so many different places. Um, We've got to get this in the courts because I don't know how else to stop it. Um, You know, I mean, our politicians are corrupt. 
are, you know, our elected officials are the bureaucrats that are doing this have all been bought off. Um, and you know, the, really our best chance is to get the courts to take an honest look at this. And it's a tough fight in the courts. I'll tell you that, but, um, it's worth having. It certainly is, and I and I know you will be coming out with some of your whistleblower data that will illuminate some of these issues. So definitely keep us in touch, um, and I'll I'll certainly send any potential plaintiffs your way that could could help out. Um, is there any way people could help out legally? Um, if there are some attorneys that want to volunteer some time, is there a way to contact your firm? Yeah, so where we're at right now is I actually have, and I, this is by the grace of God, and I'm so grateful, I actually have a very strong, solid team of people and attorneys that have reached out and uh, that are willing to work. And I've got a little bit more capacity right now, but what I've got to do is I've got to, right now, so it's like a seesaw, right? Like no one's making any money on this, but everybody's got to have enough to feed their families. Um, and we're okay with that. Like the guys that I'm working with and gals, they, they're, uh, they're in this for the right reasons. And we're all just, you know, as long as we can take care of our families, we're okay. But that's, uh, courts, lawsuits are expensive. So, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what we need right now is funding. Um, uh, we've got, and you can help with that. I mean, we actually, so, you know, this is almost unheard of in law firms. Uh, I actually accept sponsors. So I've got sponsors on my website. If you buy stuff from them, we get money. And then I just fund it out of my pocket. Um, I also, we, uh, we've got For God Family Country, um, which is one of our partner organizations. Um, it's a charity that supports us. That's my charity. And then we work very closely with Make Americans Free Again. Um, you know, if you're supporting, if you go to my website, there's places that you can support. And uh, this is this is all I do. I mean, until we win, I'm going to keep fighting this. And so, you know, if you buy something from the sponsors, um, it goes into my it goes into my pocket and I spend it on this. Um, So, you know, that's uh, the money we get. You know, anything that I don't need to take care of my family ends up going into taking care of this fight. Exactly. This is wrens-law.com is where you could uh, find out both information and also how you could support uh, the Wrens the, the Law Firm to actually help. And again, it's not just the legal cases, but he is going to get a lot of discovery. Um, he can't share with me now, but he is going to be putting out information that will really hopefully blow this wide open in the coming days. Um, hopefully sooner rather than later, just like we're, you know, we're helping raise money for some of the doctors that are treating people, uh, you know, with their own supplies. Um, we need the legal representation. Thomas, thanks so much. Uh, give the Ohio legislature hell for us. And hopefully you'll come back in in a couple days with some good news. I'm praying. Please, prayers for the family, prayers for the work, prayers for all of the, all the warriors that are fighting this, including you, Daniel. Perfect. God bless your work, and we'll speak to you later. And folks, I mean, you know, this guy is a terrific human being. Uh, Thomas Renz, you know, the media has trashed him just like they do the doctors. It's funny. Everyone's a scam artist. Every one of us, we're the scam artists. We're the liars. We're somehow making money and fame off of this. Um, and 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 the guys that are, are earning a killing and obtaining so much power and killing people, somehow they're the highest order of men. It's truly disgusting. It's, it's an upside-down world. 
Um, but just to put everything together, this is why it's abundantly clear this was all planned. You couldn't have done this by accident. Um, what they, they they have done the worst things, aggravating each other at the worst possible moments, at an epidemiological level, at a micro treatment level, um, and 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 again, you know, now you know why I can't get off this issue because. There's nothing quite like it. The stuff that is going on, the culture, the spirit of cruelty that has gone into the healthcare world, um, just brainwashing them with a blood libel, blaming people, blaming everything except for themselves on what is going on here. Um, I've heard the same things. I get emails all the time. Um, it, it is shocking what is going on in America's healthcare system. Uh, ultimately, we need to evacuate from this, which is why I wonder if the CMS mandate might be a blessing in disguise uh, in the sense that the good doctors and nurses will get kicked out. And maybe that's a good thing because maybe we need to start our own thing. Maybe maybe it's not even worth fighting to restore their jobs because their job's doing what? In the current system, it, the healthcare system needs to be burned down to the ground. By the way, you have now, you know, the few good hospitals, um, Medicare, Medicaid, and then the insurance cartel, they're all one because the insurance cartel has all the Medicare, Medicaid contracts. It's all one thing. They're um, now threatening hospitals that they won't uh, fund anything, uh, you know, if they don't follow the murderous protocol. In other words, if you actually try to uh, uh, save patients, then you'll get crushed. This is a big, big problem going on. Um so we're going to get into that in the coming days. We'll have some more guests on later this week. Uh, hopefully we'll have Dr. Brian Tyson on, the man who saved 7,000 people. Um, he's written a book about his experience and what we can learn about it, some practical advice as well. So let me know if you have questions for Brian for tomorrow. Uh, email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. You can follow me at rmconservative while I'm still there on Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.